Hey, genre junkies, it's Scott. First of all, you may notice that this episode is being released on a Tuesday. We're trying something a little bit different. To better align with the new release of books, we're going to try releasing our podcast on Tuesdays from now on. The other thing I wanted to mention, Sandra and I didn't even really realize this, but this is our one-year anniversary of Genre Junkies. Can you believe it? So what better way to celebrate one year of great genre literature than an interview with one of our favorite current authors, Kendara Blake? We hope you enjoy this interview and join us in a couple of weeks when I, Sandra, and Amanda get back together and discuss in full detail the third book in the Three Dark Crowns trilogy, Two Dark Reigns. So enjoy our interview with Kendara Blake. If you haven't already, be sure to go to audibletrial.com forward slash genre to get your free book and 30-day trial for Audible. And until next time, please remember to read past your bedtime. Weirdo bookworms unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hello, bookworms, and welcome to a very special episode of Genre Junkies. We are delighted humbled and completely in awe that we have a very special guest tonight. The one, the only, the amazing Kendara Blake. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That was uh, way too kind, but I'll, I'll take it. Yes, take the compliment. Take the compliment. <laughs> oh, I, I compared you to J.K. Rowling just the other day. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the level you're on with, with these two book nerds. Oh, well, thank you. That's that's really nice. Uh, <laughs> that's like the nightmare, though, I think, for authors. It's like nobody wants to get compared to J.K. Rowling. Oh, really? <laughs> it's, just, it's like too much. It's like, no, that's too much. I don't know. I don't even want to. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so I wanted to start out. We've got some great questions for you today. A theme we love in these books is knowing your truth, sort of the concept of knowing one's truth. Could you talk to us about what that theme means to you in your books? Uh, well, I guess it's the characters in the characters that I write. Um, I mean, I, I guess it's just them staying true to themselves. I, they really have to know, not if necessarily if they know who they are, but I need to know who they are. So I'm, I mean, all the characters have to make moves that that fit with their characters. And honestly, it's a hard question to answer mm. because once I turn the characters loose on the page, I mean, I've, I've kind of sat with them in my head for usually a couple of years. So by the time they actually start being, you know, speaking and, and doing things within the story, they're kind of on their own. I don't think of it as like a construction. Um, it's just they're, that's Arsenal and that's what she does. Of course, that's what she does. She always does that. It's kind of that sort of thing. It just flows out the characters just do their own thing. I think that's cool. That's very refreshing. I'm glad with that. That actually kind of leads into my question is that the, the Three Crowns series, it's always had a really strong vision. But uh, in reading Two Dark Reigns, it really feels like you're kind of telling the reader where the Queen's stories are finally headed. How much of the total story did you actually have in mind when you started this project? Well, like I knew that there was an island and that there were three queens on it and that they had to kill each other. That's about true. It. True. Like, 
That much I knew. I knew um, one of them was a poisoner. I knew one of them was a naturalist. I knew one of them was an elemental. I kind of, I knew who the girls were, but I didn't know, I didn't even know who was going to get the crown until midway through writing One Dark Throne. And then I was like, whoa, she's really going for it. I think she's going to pull it off. (laughs) So uh, no, I didn't know. And it got, the series got extended from two books to four books. So One Dark Throne had already been written and done. And then the, Harper Collins was like, well, what do you want to do next? And I was like, I don't know. But by then I had already started to like miss the Queens and wonder what they're up to. Aww. Because One Dark Throne, if you've read it, it ends kind of on, a, I don't know, as hopeful a note as you can get in this world. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, well, I wonder what they're doing. Well, I hope they're doing okay. And then from that wondering, it was like, well, I kind of want to know. So I said I could probably do more. You know, I could tell maybe the rest of the story. So then... Uh, that's what these these last two books are. So I kind of think of it as a duo and a duo. Like the first two books are the story of the Ascension and the Crowning, and then the next two books are the story of the Reign. And now I'm about, oh, I don't know, 30 days, 40 days from finishing up the last book. And, and it's like, oh, crap, now I actually know. <laughs> like maybe I was better off not knowing, but now we'll know. Better or worse, there it is. Oh my gosh. Well, we love these books. We've read them all, read the novellas. We love, love your writing and these works. And I'm glad that there's another book because I'm not ready to say goodbye. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, I'm really not either. I thought by the end, this is the longest series I've written. Mm-hmm. And I thought by the end, I'd be like, oh, blah, I'm so ready to start something new. But actually, I'm kind of dragging my feet as it comes to these last scenes because I'm, I'm going to miss these scrappy little women. I'm going to miss the <laughs> island. I mean, it's a, it's a fun place to write about. It's a really fun place to write about. Ooh, speaking of place, actually, um, I'd like to ask you about Fenburn. That's the island that our characters call home. It's a goddess-worshipping matriarchy, which is everything to me, like quite literally everything. Um, <laughs> what inspired Fenburn? Either real cultures or fantastical places what led you to make Fenburn Fenburn well it was kind of it was twofold so well actually it's like multiple fold but we'll go with the main two (laughs) so the entire concept of three dark crowns is based off the behavior of of bees um I was at a book event and and I saw this huge ball just made of bees have you guys ever do you guys beekeep per chance um, I do not. I really want to. I actually have some bees tattooed on me. I love bees. I didn't know this. Oh, cute. Yeah, I, I like bees too, but I was like deathly afraid of them. Uh, thanks to one Stephen King story that I read a long time ago, The Man in the Black Suit, where oh, yeah. somebody like, instantly dies from a bee sting, like so bad that their neck swells up like an inner tube. It's just disgusting. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay, obviously I'm I'm allergic to them, even though I'm probably not, but obviously I am. <laughs> now I'm terrified of bees forever. So there was this huge ball of bees, just a ball is about the size of half a basketball, just 100% bees all the way through, stuck to this tree. And we were all afraid of it. We're like, do we have to cancel the event? Like, are all the children going to be stung and die? (laughs) Um, But there happened to be a beekeeper there. Just, I don't know how that seems like a coincidence, but she's like, don't worry, they're swarming. So when they form balls like that, they're traveling from like hive to hive. They're looking for a new place to live. And in the middle of that ball is their queen. And they're just worried about protecting her. So as long as you don't like poke the ball, they're actually perfectly safe. So I found that so interesting. And then I just followed this poor beekeeper around for the rest of the day, asking her all these questions about bees. Hmm. And over the course of the day, she told me that, well, before a queen bee leaves her old hive, 
she'll lay four or five queen eggs. Before this, she was just laying workers because that's all she needed. But now she's like, well, it's time. I don't like this place anymore. I need a new place. So I'm going to lay my queen babies. And those queen babies hatch out, just murder the crap out of each other. And whichever one survives gets to take over the old hive. And I thought, oh, that's nice, like nature. And I really wanted to do that to human beings. And that's when I started working on Three Dark Crowns. And since a beehive is a matriarchy, it just made sense that Fenburn would also be a matriarchy, ruled by queens, just, you know, basically just run by the ladies because, yeah, and then like a drone shows up every once in a while and he breeds and then they boot him out to die in the winter, you know. Yeah, Um, (laughs) we feel that. Yeah, so the matriarchy came about very naturally. There was never a question about it being a matriarchy. And as far as it being kind of isolated and shrouded by mist, um, that's kind of a... I mean, that's kind of a common trope when it comes to isolated matriarchies like the Amazons and Themyscira and um, Avalon in in the King Arthur legend. And I think I I needed to use that because I needed to take Fenburn off the map. I needed it to be safe and kind of just this insular little world, maybe because pessimistically, I thought that's the only way that the matriarchy was going to survive, like Mm. within the patriarchal world for it to survive this long into the semi- modern modern day like it's gonna have to be a secret oh my gosh my mind is blown scott is your mind blown my mind is blown i i, I that the b part is just fantastically fan- <laughs> it's fascinating yes um i i definitely got the uh feelings of avalon oh yeah uh but yeah it's it's that, its that's own thing really though. neat yeah. inspiration for the book thank you i'm actually glad to have a real story to tell because normally people ask, like, oh, where do you get your ideas? I have no idea. But this one, <laughs> I can, like, point it down to the day. Like, thank you, bees. <laughs> hey, save the bees. We love the bees. Right? I love bees now. I'm still scared of them, but I love them. <laughs> it's like a healthy fear, respect relationship. It is. It just means I'm not going to, you know, mess with them and ruin their day. But, <laughs> you know, I'll look at them. They're cute. I didn't know that most bees are, like, all bees are fuzzy. Yes. I didn't know that. And and if they're not fuzzy, then it's a wasp and they're just evil. But yes. I didn't know. So I've been trying to be nice to wasps too all this time for nothing. Right? And wasps are just a-holes. They are. <laughs> so uh, not to kind of bombard you because you just said you don't know where your ideas always come from. Uh, but I'm going to ask about the poisoners. The poisoners are my people. They are my favorite. I am definitely a poisoner. And I... I lo- I love the concept of them. They're so original and unique. Like, where did you come up with poisoners? They are one of the most fun to write about. Like, I love writing about the naturalists, too. And honestly, now that I'm able to write about the warriors, they're really fun as well. But the poisoners have that really elegant kind of goth chic thing yes. going on. You know, they're always in black. They're very wealthy. They're very uh, ceremonial. And they're they're just cutthroat. You know, they do what they they have to to survive. And I like that. As far as the concept of a poisoner, I'd always wanted to work with poisons. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like that, that legend of Queen Elizabeth and the poison gown, which isn't actually true. But Mm. I've always liked that idea. Like, oh, my God, you can poison all this stuff and just kill people with it. And (laughs) brilliant. Yeah, I'd been trying to work in the idea of poisons, maybe center kind of an idea around poisons and it never came together so when i knew that these three girls had to have different powers like poisoning power would be pretty rad so yeah yeah. mission accomplished yeah it's been fun 
it's, and I've learned a lot about poisons that I didn't know before. So, right? yeah. So one of the things with the poisoners is their kind of obsession with food and your descriptions of food across the entire world are just nothing short of mouthwatering. Are you a chef or just a foodie? I'm just a food. I mean, I cook, but it's not like good. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's like edible Midwestern mayonnaise is the main ingredient kind of food. So I just love food, though. And the fact that they, they eat the poison food, I really like thinking of new recipes and new ways that they could possibly incorporate the poisons into that food. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. So if if you were in Fenburn, what would your gift be? Oh, I'm not sure. I really like animals. Like I'm really into animals. So maybe a naturalist, but then I kill every plant I touch. So maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) And I do really love to eat. So I don't think poison food would turn me off at all. So I don't know. I'd either be a naturalist or a poisoner. Uh, What's your Harry Potter house? My Harry Potter house is officially, we took the, my husband and I took the official Pottermore quiz Mm -hmm. just recently and we're both Ravenclaws. Scott's sure, a Ravenclaw. Like, but no, I'm like, he's he's a Ravenclaw. We're all Ravenclaws. Um, even my brother's a Ravenclaw. I think it's rigged. I think the, <laughs> I think they rigged it somehow to like get Ravenclaw. Um, but I'm curious. Do you guys, have you guys taken the quiz? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you also taken the Patronus quiz? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about your Patronuses. Okay. Like you, you're a Slytherin, I assume. See, it's so funny because um, the jury's really out on if I'm a Slytherin or a Gryffindor. Um, So I don't know where I am. I I don't know. I'm just going to let the hat figure it out. Well, Um, that means you're like a Harry, right? Because Harry could have been either one. I like that. I will take that. Um, So I got a Nebulung cat, which I'm so happy with because cats are my life. Yeah, that's perfect. And a Nebulon cat, that sounds like a very dramatic cat. Like, that sounds like a good cat to have. Oh, yeah. No, we get along great. <laughs> I also got a cat. I don't remember exactly what kind it oh, was. Oh, you got another type like a, of cat, which is cool. It's like a calico cat. Yeah, it was a cool. It was something good. And he's oh, a Ravenclaw. Nice. Well, that's almost like Stitches. You almost got Stitches. That's <gasps> nice. Yes. Our little producer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so what's your patron? If she had a Patronus quiz, she would get you. Wouldn't Aww. that be, <laughs> that'd be cute? Uh, yeah, my Patronus was a field mouse. <gasps> so I'm going straight to uh, Azkaban because that's not going to help me out against any kind of Dementor. I don't know why they even let field mice be Patronuses because it's it's pathetic and ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's at least it's precious. I feel bad for anybody that got a fish. Oh, well, fish are like, they would at least look cool swimming through the air, you know? <laughs> What kind of fish you got? I mean, some fish are really mighty. Like, what if you got a marlin? That'd be pretty sweet. That's but true. Field, that's just, it's just, and I think of myself as generally a pretty dark person. I'm like, this thing, this is not. How did I get a field mouse? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how my sister Amanda, who's on our show um, a lot, felt. She got a red squirrel, and she's like, the F? <laughs> yeah. Striking yeah. fear into no one's heart. Right. Although squirrels can be very, I don't know, ingenious. Uh, they're very resourceful, as I'm sure is a field mouse. I don't, I think a field mouse is just a fluffy prey animal. I'm just like there to <laughs> scurry about and get eaten by stuff. Okay, well, oh. we're, we'll cut all of this and we'll just put in the show that you got like a barracuda. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would love a barracuda. They look so ridiculous with their buggy eyes and their teeth. <laughs> um, shame. So uh, kind of on that note, we know that you love fandoms. Uh, what are some of your big fandom obsessions right now? Uh, right now? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I I just watched the adaptation on Netflix of Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is not necessarily a fandom, but I'm just really into it within this last two days. I wasn't oh. expecting to like it as much because I'm not generally into rom-coms, but it's so cute and it's just good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that because I haven't watched it yet. Because, yeah, I'm not super like a rom-com gal either. But, I mean, I want to be into that series. It's the movie is so it's so well done. Like the acting is really good. And they did the I thought they cast it really well. So, yeah, I'd give it a go. I'd give it a go. Um, As far as other fandoms. Gosh, what am I? I don't know. I've always been into Harry Potter. I'm still, I guess, still into Buffy. I used to be into Sailor Moon quite a bit. Mm. Um, Buffy forever. Yeah. Buffy for Buffy life. Forever, basically. And now we're getting like the Buffy reboot. And I heard that Joss Whedon's going back to finish off the Buffy comics. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued about how he's going to wrap that up. Oh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And I've heard very positive things about this this reboot that it is just going to be like, it's a new Slayer. You know, it's not like they're trying to be like, here's Xander and here's Willow again. And look, there's Giles. I hope not. Like I there's, you know, within the world, he set that up. So there could be so many other stories of Slayers. So I don't know why we'd have to see Buffy's story over again. I'm okay to keep Giles, though. Oh, I love Giles. I wouldn't mind it if one of the side characters came in to like mentor the new Slayer, or just to be like a crossover. Ooh, I love that idea. Giles was my favorite character of of Buffy. He was, he was, I loved them all. Like, I think I loved Spike by the end. Oh, yeah. And I know, like, I liked Wesley Wyndham Price, too, and his particular character arc. Like, he started out that nerdy watcher, and then he moved over to Angel and became kind of a badass. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that was fun. That's a rich fandom, and it's always fun when you find other, like, Buffy people. And there, I mean, there's a ton. There's a ton of Buffy people out there. A lot of people think, my dog's name is Obi-Dog Kenobi, so a lot of people think I'm hardcore into the Star Wars fandom, but that one I'm actually not. Like, on the scale of Star Wars fans, I'm probably, like, a three, because Star Wars fans, really, you can, to be a ten, you've got to be, like, an actual stormtrooper. So... (laughs) See, that's what I was going to ask about is because of your dog's names. Uh, one's Star Wars related, one's um, Game of Thrones related. So I was going to s- see if those were big ones for you. Yes, I was blanking, but I'm hugely into Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones a lot. And my other dog, uh, so Tyrion Catister is actually, he's... Oh, he's a I'm sorry, cat. <laughs> but my other dog is Agent Scully from the X-Files, which I was also really into. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that you wrote a short story for an X-Files collection. I, I haven't read it yet, but... um. How did how did you get into the, how did you get involved in that? That was maybe the coolest thing to happen to me after becoming an author. Um, my friend Jonathan Mayberry, who I met at a convention right at the start of my writing career, he he was the editor of that anthology, and he just asked me. I heard him talking about it on Facebook, I think, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so excited for this!" And he messaged me. And he's like, "You want to write one?" I'm like, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. But in the end, um, I was so intimidated by the canon that I ended up making Mulder and Scully. I couldn't write them as main characters. Like I couldn't put myself in their heads. 
So I ended up doing the story like from the viewpoint of one of their cases because I always mm-hmm. wondered like what would it be like to just be a person who's not really involved in the main case and then just have Mulder knock on your door, show you a badge, ask a really bunch of random weird questions and then just leave. <laughs> and you're like, "What the hell is going on in my neighborhood?" <laughs> so, uh from there I just uh so it 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 mostly follows that and then you just see Mulder and Scully through through the person's eyes and like in the periphery because I chickened out. I still enjoy the story though. It's about, um, have you guys heard of the phenomenon where if you get a transplanted organ, you can take on the aspects of your donor? Absolutely. Yeah. So I find, I find that really creepy. So that's what it's about. Ooh. Well, we are huge X-Files nerds as well. So just another thing we have in common here. Nice. Yeah. It was, it was hard because to make the story canon, we had to get approval from Fox on a bunch of stuff. Like we had to choose dates where Mulder and Scully, if they were appearing in the story, they weren't already on another case. So we had to be like, okay, uh, it's this takes place in the end of season six, but not in November because they were already doing that case with the, like it was hard to nail down. Like they need spare time and they didn't have a lot of spare time. (laughs) I appreciate the continuity. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually surprising that they, that they stuck such heavy continuity requirements on it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you couldn't kill Mulder or Scully because they're alive and you couldn't Mulder couldn't swear. They never said anything about Scully swearing. Maybe nobody tried it, but Mulder could not swear. And then, of course, we couldn't use any branding. So like they had to drink soda, not Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. Yeah. So what is the first story that you remember writing? Um, haha. Oh, in well, I guess in seventh grade, I wanted to see if I could write something that was book length. So I wrote a story about like wild mustangs in a spiral bound journal, and I oh. didn't have word count or anything, but it filled up a couple of notebooks, so I called it good. <laughs> That's wonderful. I I love a good horse story. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I grew up in Minnesota. I had three horses. I was a real horse girl. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I did not know you were from Minnesota. I thought you were just from West Coast always. How did I miss no, that? No, I just moved out. We just moved out here like eight, nine years ago. So my husband and I are both from Minnesota. And then I lived I lived in London for a, for a year just doing my master's degree. But we always came back to Minnesota. But now that we're out here, we're never going back to Minnesota. <laughs> do you still have that those notebooks? Tell me you do. <laughs> You know, I might have one of them just floating around, but, you know, I went through that phase as a teenager where I just wanted to destroy everything, and I think that might have been a casualty mm-hmm. of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a few of those. Had a yeah. few of those notebooks. <laughs> Do your family and friends read your books? Are they into it? Um, I have one friend who's who's into it and has read everything. Um, also, because I named the cougar Camden after her cat. So she's very into Camden, especially. She's Team Camden. Oh, um, so she's she's reading those. My brother just started reading the books because he moved and his cable didn't get hooked up for a while. So that was, got him started. Um, I love it. He's like, I gotta kill some time. Guess I'll read my yeah, sister's books. I've got these books just laying around. What's this about? So yeah, but he said he really enjoyed it, and I think he's gonna read the new one. I think he's all caught up. Um, my mom has not read anything mom. Uh, and that's okay. She's, she's, uh, physically disabled and she has a hard time holding her eyes still. 
so she can't read anymore. Uh, her eyes bounce around the page too much. Mm. But I, I'm like, okay, well, why don't you just, I can give you some audio CDs. They're on audiobook. Hey. And that's when she, she gets real cagey. She's like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so in that Minnesota accent, she's like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, maybe not. So, but my dad has, my dad's read them. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. So one question that we love to ask authors is, has there ever been a book that you wish you'd been the one to write? Oh, like, yeah. Like, and I mean, like, w- w- what book is that and why? Um, I mean, there are tons of them that that I would have loved to have written. And then there are some, you know, sometimes you get those books and you love them so much, but they seem like they were so hard to mm. write. I'm like, I didn't want it. I wouldn't sit down and do that. There's no way. Like, I... I would abandon this project midway. Um, (laughs) So like I thought of that when I was reading Illuminae by Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman. And I love them. They're great. Illuminae is a fantastic book, but it had all that space stuff and like the schematics and the technology and all of that like research and it all fit together like such an intricate puzzle. Oh, and even just the way they wrote it too. The style. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So much went into that. I'm like, you guys, I wish I I wish I could write something like this. <laughs> but there's absolutely no way. Like it's it's really fantastic. Um, the book that I wish that I'm like jealous that I didn't think of first, yeah, if that makes sense, is probably the Scorpio Races by Maggie Stiefeter. Oh, uh, we have not read those. Oh, it's good. It's really good. It's um, and that's because I was such a horse crazy girl, and it's kind of based off of the Misty of like Chincoteague books. Where I mean, it's not really, but it kind of is. It's kind of maybe inspired by that. Um, but it's about these like water horses that are kind of evil and will eat you, but you can also ride them once a year. And there's a race, and lots of people die during this race every November, but. People race in it anyway because I can't remember what the prize is, but it's important. But yeah, it's it's awesome. Like it's a fantastic book, and I'm very jealous. Yeah, that, that's that just made it to my list. Oh yeah, that just shot to the top of the TBR. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. She created this really, and it's it's set in an island community, and she just creates this really interesting um, water horse culture. And ugh, yeah. Like they're really cool and you want to ride one, but at the same time, it's probably going to eat you. So maybe not. Oh, I love it. I love everything about that. I actually had sort of a quick question because you said um, a little bit about being a darker person. I too am a dark individual. Um, <laughs> uh, are you a horror fan per se? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh good. Yeah. What's some of yeah. your favorite horror movies, books? Because uh, we have, you know, all we talk about here is horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And horror is my life's blood. Oh, okay. <laughs> this could go on a bit. Okay. Um, I opened so Pandora's box. I think, like, my love of horror probably stems from, I don't know, I had a really morbid elementary school librarian <laughs> when I was Ooh. growing up. And she read us, like, those scary stories to tell in the dark books. Yes. We were like seven years old. She's like, look at this. It's a decapitated person. And we just ate it up. At least I did. I loved it. Um, also, I, I started watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, probably a little too young. I <laughs> saw the Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and I just loved it. It was just such an interesting concept. And to this day, I love Freddy Krueger. He's so, you know, funny and, and dumb. Um, <laughs> but 
<laughs> just the idea. And I also love Scary Terry from, do you guys watch Rick and Morty? Uh, we do. Yes. <laughs> He's my favorite, Scary <laughs> Terry. Um, but just like the concept of Freddy, like what, what is horror supposed to do? It's supposed to make you lose sleep. So give us a demon that can only get us when we sleep. It's so, it's just ingenious. Mm-hmm. And recent horror favorites. And then I'm going to ask you for recommendations because I'm always looking for new ones. Oh, yeah. As far as films go, I really enjoyed, like, I love The Babadook. Yes. That's another one that's, you know, written, directed, lead acted by a woman. And that's rad. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. And I always recommend The Cabin in the Woods just for, I think that one blends humor and horror, probably one of the best that I've ever seen. Ooh, I think that's great. So I, I would be happy to give you some horror recommendations. As far as movies go, have you seen The Witch? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, yeah, I live for The Witch. Um, Did you see Hereditary? Not yet. I'm dying to, though. Oh, okay. That, to me, is just not to be missed. Um, okay. I'm a total trash fangirl for The Purge as well. I just love that, even though it makes me <laughs> depressed. <laughs> I saw The First Purge. I haven't seen any of the other ones, but I really I really liked The First Purge. Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey are two of my favorite actors, actually. Right? They're amazing. Um, as far as books go, we're a huge fan of Nick Cutter. We did The Troop earlier this year. Nick Cutter. Oh, yeah. I haven't read him. The Troop, I, I still, whenever I think about it, I lose any appetite that I have. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's got some really good, ooey, gooey, gory nastiness. I'm going to have to put that one on my list. And the Troop. This, this one's kind of out of left field. We also reviewed this, but... um. Mask Beneath Her Face uh, by Raphael Chandler has a lot of really messed up female characters in it. That's that's really fun. It's an interesting take on slashers. Oh, interesting. Mask Beneath Her Face. That's mm-hmm. a good title, too. Like instantly, I'm kind of like squicked out just about the title. Yeah. Um, also huge fans of Josh Mallerman. Um, mm, yep. Bird Box. Yeah. Great. Paul Tremblay as well. Paul Tremblay, he's on my list. I have I can't remember which one is on my two by list, but I know that name is on there. Something um, at the end of the world, maybe. Cabin at the end of the world. Cabin at the end of the world. That's what it's on. Yeah. And um Anya Alborn is one of my favorite horror female writers as well. Ah. She's uh-huh. got a good back catalog for you to dive into. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, as far as writers, I like let's see. I mean, I'm a big fan of Joe Hill. Oh, we love him. We love him. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, it's great. And I, I find it so ballsy that he would even want to do that considering who his dad is. Yes. You know, like, how would you think like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now <laughs> I'm going to do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. But he's, he's, it's great. He's doing so many, you know, he's got a really wide range of imagination. Um, and I like, I love Caitlin R. Kiernan. Are you guys familiar? No. She's she would she would like slap me around if I called her horror, but a lot of her stuff is horrifying and it's very weird. Um, she's a fantastic writer of of weird fiction. I I love weird fiction, so that's fantastic. Check her out. So she's got a big uh, backlog. She writes fantastic short stories, which I think is like an underappreciated art form. Yeah, at least in history. To find the the right length and just the the brevity around writing a story is is difficult. Yeah, yeah, and everybody says in publishing, oh, short story collections don't sell. Like, but why don't they? Because it's so fantastic. Sometimes you don't. That's all you want. 
it's like, ah, I'm, you know, it's right before bed. I just want like a little piece, just a little story, just so, you know, I don't want to start a whole five chapters of something. So I don't know. I think more people should write short stories. I agree. Are you going to write some? I do. I write them whenever I can. Like whenever somebody asks me to contribute, uh, there's a new anthology about Edgar Allan Poe. Well, it's not about Edgar Allan Poe, but it's basically we took our favorite Edgar Allan Poe stories and then we did a modern spin on them. <gasps> I think that the, our new stories are going to appear in tandem with the original Poe story, which is fun. I like that. Uh, and I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be coming out. I don't know. I mean, I haven't. we haven't even done edits on it, but that should be coming out within the next year or so. Oh my God, I'm hyperventilating. How is Sandra's historical husband? So she's freaking out. You just drop that knowledge, that Poe knowledge on us. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited to read everybody's stories. I chose, I wasn't really thinking about it, but I just chose the story that I loved from him when I was a kid, which was, I think, maybe his first published short story, Metzengerstein. It's really obscure. I had to look at like, I had to buy a bunch of different, not buy a bunch, but I had to look through a bunch of different Poe collections just to find it. Oh, and yeah. I didn't, it's pretty short. So she wanted like 5,000 words. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm working with like 20, you know, 2,000 words to start with. So <laughs> can't wait. I feel like it's my birthday. Like that's just the most exciting news ever. We're, I have just added this to our calendar of episodes. This is. It's like if you're doing like a Poe themed show, there's another one coming out. Um, it's by my friend Kat Winters and it's, it's the story of Poe, like as he was a teenager, it's like (gasps) teenage Poe. I can't remember what it's called, like the Raven's wing or something. She just unveiled. If you go to Kat Winters, like on Instagram or something, she just unveiled the cover for it. And yeah, if you're a Poe nerd, I would check it out. She writes really good historical stuff. Ooh, BRB. I'm going to go just look that up real quick. Following on Twitter right now. (laughs) Well, Kendara, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we kind of wrap up, we wanted to let you let our listeners know where they can find you. Ah, well, they can find me just about anywhere except Snapchat because I don't understand Snapchat, so I don't use it. Uh, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> thank you. I'm not alone. My husband's trying to figure out Snapchat right now, and he just keeps, where are my Snapchats going? Where, I'm, <laughs> I think they disappear after so long, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I'm on Instagram and it's just my name, Kendara Blake. I'm on Twitter. Same thing. Kendara Blake. My website is KendaraBlake.com. So it's really easy to find me. And I'm also on Facebook. I don't have an author page per se, but if you friend request me and I don't get the vibe that you are a porn account, I will usually just accept it. Aww. Um, so are you going to be on tour for Two Dark Rains as well? Yes. I'm headed on the road with... I'm going to do three legs. So the first leg, I'm going to be with Catherine McGee, author of the the Thousandth Floor series. The last one in her series is coming out. Also, like I think it's the end of the month that it's coming out. And Sarah Rosh, who just released her new one, These Rebel Waves. Uh, she was the author of um, Ice Like Fire, Snow Like Ashes, those fantastic fantasies. Mm-hmm. Cool. And we will be... I think we're in like Oklahoma. I can't remember exactly. And then the next leg, I'm going to be out again with Catherine McGee and joined by E.B. Zoboy, who wrote the fantastic book American Street last year. And she's got a new one um, called Pride. It's like a an urban flipped riff on Pride and Prejudice. So very excited to hit the road with her. And then the last leg, 
I will be out on the road with Mackenzie Lee, who wrote um, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, and Alana Arnold with Damsel, Anna Godberson for Things We Lost in the Fire, and Claire Legrand, who is <gasps> out for Soft Hill Girls, but I uh, recently read and loved and blurbed her wonderful fantasy, Furyborn. Well, those are just, I mean, that's a list of wonderful authors, wonderful books. We are huge into Claire Legrand. Yeah, I've never met her, so I'm excited. Um, <laughs> I've never run into each other, but I read Furyborn. I'm like, oh, holy crap, this is great. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to it with talking about it with her. Well, I hope you get to come out to California and visit us. Yeah, we were out there last year, but this year, no stops. Last no. year, we were in the San Francisco area, and I I can't remember. I think we were down in L.A. for a night, too, um, but not this year for whatever reason. That's okay. We can be patient. <laughs> okay. We'll play the long game. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. It has been such a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to like horror nerds because I feel like there are even fewer horror nerds out there than Buffy nerds for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this was cool. the few, the proud, the horror nerd. And of right? course, <laughs> everybody, please, if you're, you must be living under a rock if you haven't read these books. We gush about them endlessly. So start them, read them if you haven't. And thank you again, Kendara. Thank you. Mm-hmm.